Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Ready. Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is. So they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready. What is going on, Belly Up Sports fam? Shaka Cummings, Parker Ainsworth. Welcome to F in Sports, the podcast with two teachers, great sports, biggest issues. Parker, how are you doing on day umpteen of a quarantine? <laughs> umpteen of a quarantine sounds about exactly how I'm doing. We have uh, buckled down, broken down and gotten a dog. I have a new Xbox in my living room. I have completely bought into this. I'm never leaving my apartment life again going a little stir crazy but that's okay how you doing shaka uh hanging in hanging on i already had the dog <laughs> so i didn't have to go out and buy one um but i do have uh so i live in a little house here in lexington we have teddy bears in our windows for the kids who are walking by doing their little teddy bear hunt so uh it, life is good we are on spring break officially this week so i actually get to decompress a little bit which helps uh, I wish there were more sports on because that would help even more. <laughs> <laughs> um, hey, Parker, let's talk Gold Stars and detentions for this week. So what do you got for us? Uh, my first Gold Star goes to Seth Curry. Um, Seth Curry's been using his Instagram Live a lot. First of all, you guys got to know how hard it is for me to give a Gold Star to Seth Curry. As I've said on the pod before, Warriors World has blocked me for things I've said about <laughs> Seth Curry in the past. Um but I give a gold star to Steph Curry because he's been using his Instagram Live to get out useful information to people in the midst of the pandemic. He had on uh, Dr. Fauci uh, and had a very, you know, commonly asked questions and some stuff that if you're following Dr. Fauci on a daily basis might seem kind of obvious, but it definitely is Steph addressed in the 
Instagram live video, it, it talked to an audience that probably doesn't get to see Fausti on the screen a lot. Um, it's definitely trended to a younger audience, a, a basketball friendly audience, uh, audience obviously, because it's Steph Curry's Instagram. And basically just was getting more information out there about why we're all social distancing and you know what the cause is and what the reality is of the situation outside right now and and things like that so it was very very helpful good job steph gold star yeah absolutely i feel like the nba has been really proactive in terms of using social media to communicate to just a different audience about the need for everyone to social distance while we're quarantining making sure you wash hands just good job by the nba overall uh, my gold star is going to go to an equine athlete because there are still <laughs> horse, there's still horse racing on television. And uh, I live in Lexington where horse racing is a big deal. And tis the law won the Florida Derby and dominated. So like, if you listen to this pod and you are not into horse racing, that's fine. Just remember the name tis the law. Remember the jockey Manny Franco, because when the Kentucky Derby rolls around in September, as long as that horse is healthy, that horse is winning that race. The horse won the Florida, <laughs> I, it won the Florida Derby by three and a half lengths, which means that if you take a horse and you stretch it out, it beat the other horses by the distance of three horses plus another half a horse. That is a blowout. And the winner of the Florida Derby has traditionally been one of the favorites for the Derby. The horse that won the Florida Derby last year actually crossed the line first, maximum security, but then it got disqualified. So if you look at the last uh, like four or five years or something to that effect, I think the winner of the Florida Derby has crossed the line first at the Kentucky Derby three times. So tis the law. Remember, I'm about to make y'all some money. Gold star to tis the law and Manny Franco. Uh, you got any detentions this week, Parker? I got one big detention, although I might want to hand out another gold star for helping us all win some money in September. Um, You're welcome. No, the, <laughs> uh, my detention for this week goes to, I'm just going to go ahead and say to everyone with an office job for the Philadelphia 76ers, you've all got one giant detention, and I want in that detention you guys to write a reflection about why on earth were you... Did you go about this, we're going to take back salary money? Oh, wait, you guys don't like that, so no, we're not. Like That was a totally bungled situation last week. Um, and I don't know what other word to throw at it besides a bungled situation. First, you're going to cut salaries from people that uh, work for the organization. And, you know, everyone's kind of coming up upon this, you know, about to be very difficult economic time. And you're going to cut salaries. And then... Twitter and Instagram and everyone reacts and you're like, whoa, 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 just kidding. <laughs> and it's like, okay, so you don't have any more, you don't have any like backbone either. You can't like make a tough decision and stick to it. You can't make a humane decision either. Like you can't, you can't do it. You can't do either one. That's all bad. And you got to figure yourself out. So go to detention to figure yourself out, Sixers. I love the idea of them writing the reflection <laughs> in detention. Like everyone <laughs> sit down and write, and you guys got to figure this out. Uh, my detention my is along the same vein. Uh, Jeremy Jacobs is the owner for the Boston Bruins, and he basically did the same thing that the Philadelphia 76ers did, only he didn't renege on it. So he went ahead, cut salaries, and he's not going back on it. So during this time of global pandemic, when families are relying on the salaries of these folks who are working for his organization, I assume that they're doing the best that they can, working as hard as they can, working in these social distancing situations, doing things digitally, trying to support the franchise. He decides he's cutting salaries. Jeremy Jacobs is a billionaire. Um, it feels like if he needed to, that he could probably take a hit for a little while, and he could probably do that better than the folks whose salaries he's cutting uh, 
it's just it's not a good look. And I grew up a New York Rangers fan, so I'm uh, I just inclined to hate the Boston Bruins anyway. They're not doing any favors uh, with this. So Jeremy Jacobs, detention for you. I would throw you in there. I throw you under the friggin' detention, and I would throw away the key if I had anything that I could do. Um, let's get into the topics this week. So we're gonna talk uh, Cam Newton. We're going to talk Olympics, specifically Olympic basketball, and then we're going to talk NBA 2K one-on-one tournament. So, Parker, without further ado, are you ready? Ready when you are, Shaga. All righty, Parker. So, our first thesis statement for the pod is that the New England Patriots should sign Cam Newton. How would you grade that thesis statement? I give that one an A. I think that's a pretty easy take. Uh, what do you think about thesis, Shaka? So I'm going to go with a B minus. Um, I get the feeling we're actually going to agree quite a bit. But um, yeah, we'll talk it through. I went B minus. All right, Shaka. So you gave this thesis a B minus, which implies that you have some hesitation about if the New England Patriots should be pulling in Cam Newton right now. Um, would love to hear what made it a B minus for you. So for me, it's not about Cam Newton and ability as much as it is New England and who New England has been. So uh, Cam Newton as a quarterback, I believe actually in him and his style. And I actually even believe in him coming off of injury. New England traditionally as an offensive team with the exception of the year that they had Randy Moss has been a team that from the passing game standpoint has relied a lot on precision route running as well as precision short game passing. And that's where Cam Newton as a fit in my mind becomes a huge question mark. Cam Newton's uh, career, he's under 60% in terms of accuracy. The second thing is traditionally Bill Belichick, in terms of what he's looked for in quarterbacks, he's really had a mold of what he wants in a quarterback. And that mold really actually stems from Bill Parcells years back who uh, put out his rules for drafting a quarterback. And so when Bill Parcells would look for a quarterback, there were certain characteristics that he wanted and if the quarterback fit those characteristics, then, okay, we'll take a flyer. We'll draft them. If you don't fit those characteristics, then they're just not going to take you. And so the characteristics are, if we're going to draft a quarterback, it has to be a dude who was a senior. That means that he stayed throughout his entire college eligibility. It has to be a dude who graduated from college. It has to be a dude that was a starter for at least three years when he was in college. And it was a dude who had to win at least 23 games when they were in college. So now I say all that, and you're like, what the hell does that have to do with anything? Because Cam Newton played in the pros. All that it does is it gives you an idea of the model of quarterback that Bill Belichick wants with some of these intangibles. And I don't think that Newton hits any of these. Um, he may have won 23 games in college if you include his time at Blinn Community College. But he was not. He did not graduate from college. He did not stay at Auburn to exhaust his eligibility. He obviously wasn't a three-year starter because he had some trouble actually at Florida. Ended up getting thrown out of school because of a whole stealing of laptop kind of crazy situation 
So he had to transfer to a JUCO before he went back to Auburn. And then the whole Auburn piece is crazy too with his dad trying to get money from uh, different schools for recruiting him. Uh, it, if you look at the entire situation that was Cam Newton kind of coming into the league, it feels like not anything that Bill Belichick would have wanted to touch. And then when you look at Cam Newton and his personality within the league, it also feels like something that Bill Belichick wouldn't want to touch. So I say all that to say this is where I am hesitant. Where the reason why he's still a B minus is because he's Cam Newton. And I remember <laughs> him leading Carolina into that Super Bowl. I actually thought that they were going to win that Super Bowl. Um, I remember the 2015 MVP year. And I actually think that Bill Belichick would relish getting a quarterback that in the eyes of most folks is kind of non-traditional and then building an offense around him. And Cam Newton is that. You could build something around Cam that maybe doesn't look the way that it might look for every other NFL team. And that, I think that latter point is where I, I would differ and give it an A, is if there's one coach that seems to be able to mold his style, even week to week within the same season and same personnel, is Bill Belichick. Like the, you, you and I both have coached in football, and you know there's like two modes of thought. There's like the Belichickian and the Saban. And Saban is like, we're going to do the same thing we do every week, all the time, and you're, we're going to be so good at it, you can't stop it. And Belichick has actually always been, you have no idea how we're going to beat you because we're going to exploit every weakness you don't even know you have because he watches that much tape on the other people, right? And, you know, I could argue about which one works better for college and pro, and that's why they are where they are, respectively. Um, but the truth is, because of how many different ways we've seen Belichick win games, I think he could do a lot with a guy like Cam Newton, aside from the fact that I have a lot of love for what Cam Newton can do as a quarterback. He... You've seen him win Super Bowls where Brady's turn handed off to a couple of beastly running backs. You've seen him win, you know, get to the Super Bowl when they had Randy Moss going deep threat. You've seen him win Super Bowls when he's hitting Edelman and Gronk underneath, right? You've seen him do all kinds of different modes of, or had all kinds of different success with different offenses. And I think that that's why I think that the two would be a good pairing. I also think that there's, you know, Cam Newton gets a lot of flack because, uh, he was injured a lot. He missed uh, mo most of last season, so I kind of call it a wash. Um, he's he's a giant, and he runs the ball hard, and so people are, I think, worried about him from an injury, you know, taking a lot of hits and beatings. Um, but I don't think that he's going to get ran quite like that. I think it'd be more of his arm showing being shown off if he were uh, taken by a, a Bill Belichick type. Um, you know, you point out that he... He's only broken 60% completions. Uh, it's a little, little, just under half the year it's been in the NFL. He's never been below 52.9. And some of those other years he's in the 50s, is at 58.5, 59.8. You know, he, he's flirted with the 60% line a lot. I look at not just his MVP year in 2015, because uh, he was also an MVP because of how he ran the football, but in 2018, he completed 67.9% of his passes, his last fully healthy season. And when I read off this list, I want you to name, you know, he's not dealing with some superstar, crazy, crazy talent at receiver. You know, in the NFL, he's thrown most of his touchdown passes to Devin Funchess. Uh, he's got, he's thrown a bunch of touch, touchdown passes to Ted Ginn. Kelvin Benjamin, which was a short period of time, he had a late in career Steve Smith. Brandon LaFell, he hasn't exactly had, you know, the Randy Mosses and Jerry Rice's of the world. He also strikes me as this giant chip on his shoulder guy, and he's posting Instagram videos where he looks like a, a, a Adonis. Um, the incredible bulk. That's the, what he looks I mean, like. he is, and he's working out to gospel music, and I don't know how, I can't describe how intimidating it is to see a 
Greek statue literally walking and talking and working out to gospel music. It's it's very, very intimidating and intense. And my first thought when I was watching that was, so the point of football and offense is to move the ball without getting tackled. I can't think of a more intimidating person to try to tackle <laughs> than, than that Adonis himself <laughs> if he's got the football, right? Um, I also think he gets his bad rap because he doesn't have a Super Bowl ring. And I am going to call out one guy I should have just given his attention to named Howard Eskin, at Howard Eskin. Um, when he wrote some article for Pro Football Talk, and he's talking about how Cam Newton's not a winner and da da da. But no, the tweet is he's an idiot. He, I saw that. He's tweet. an idiot. This tweet is Cam Newton is not a winner. And we've heard of the past. He lists these things that he's won, like Heisman, MVP, Rookie of the Year, <laughs> like all all these Two individual accolades he's won. Yeah. He actually won a well, junior college national championship. And, and that's where an I'm at. Shock is the truth is he got to a Super Bowl and didn't win the Super Bowl. He had a you know I could go into and we could break down the drops that receivers had that he might have won that Super Bowl. I'm kind of like you. I thought he had a good shot at winning that Super Bowl at 26 years old. He is a winner. He's had it. He's had flashes of it at the NFL, and he hasn't. He hasn't like shown he can't win. He's not like he's like made some big like he throws the ball in the dirt or takes a sack when he can't. He had a bunch of drops in a Super Bowl game. He made it to. I he plays in a tough division in my opinion. The Atlanta Hawks or the Atlanta Hawks, the Atlanta Falcons came out of that <laughs> That's division. Not they were up the on the Patriots. <laughs> the the Atlanta Falcons, you know, ran away with and got almost. They should have won the Super Bowl that one year, and they're in his division. New Orleans, we talked about last week, has had their own crazy run of offensive success, and they are a hard team to beat, and they're in his division and 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 now he you know the carolina is about to have brady in their division and you think that makes him the favorite to do the whole thing anyway but there the truth is carolina has had a competitive division um since that super Bowl run and i don't think that that's like just because cam's there they've lost they've had there's been other extraneous factors there the reasons why i felt like tom brady's gonna go to tampa and just dominate is because in part He's not as bad as he looked his last year in New England. New England was just subpar around him in terms of talent on the offensive side. And what I come back to is if you're going to insert Cam, then there has to be a talent influx. Like you can't, what you can't do is just say, hey, Cam, we're going to put you in the exact same positions that Brady was in. Now go be better than Tom Brady was. I don't think that that's a reasonable ask. And so what Belichick will have to do is actually recreate, reassemble an offense around Cam that makes a little more sense than what he's got right now. And uh, one of the big pieces is tight end. You have to, you talked about who Cam threw touchdowns to. Greg Olson's a guy who he's throwing a lot of touchdowns to, right? I, I would bet that he's throwing more touchdowns to Greg Olson than any other player that he's played with. And that's in part because Greg Olson is a mismatch nightmare from that tight end position and he's a middle-of-the-field guy. Uh, the, the easiest throw for a quarterback is middle-of-the-field. The closer you start throwing to the numbers and to out-of-bounds, that's a much more difficult throw. So you need that middle-of-the-field threat. Belichick ha would have to craft some things that, at least in the last couple of years, he wasn't able to kind of craft. I shouldn't say last couple. Last year, he wasn't able to craft around Brady. So would he be able to bring in pieces – to support Cam. Right now, in terms of the running back depth chart, Sony Michelle would essentially be the guy who is probably going to be the number one running back. You're going to need a little more depth at running back. You're probably going to need some other guys who can do some things in terms of catching the ball out of the backfield. Uh, you're going to need some sort of a vertical threat because if Cam's arm, if his shoulder's good, 
He's launching the ball 70 yards. That's not a problem. So you're going to need some sort of a vertical deep threat. Um, I don't know where all these pieces are going to come from. It's not like the Patriots were incredibly active in free agency. And it's not like over the last several years, they've had this incredible luck in terms of the draft to say, oh yeah, they'll just draft all these pieces. Now, of course, if there's any team that can recreate and find pieces and is willing to kind of reinvent themselves, we're probably going to give New England the benefit of the doubt. Now they would be doing this with a quarterback who, I mean, while I want to ignore it, because I still believe that Cam is going to be a good player, he is coming off of significant shoulder surgery. And we saw what his throwing looked like when that shoulder was hurt. And in this environment, the Patriots can't check him out. They're not going to be able to test that shoulder. Um, And so how do you know what you're actually going to be getting with him? I I get all of that. I also will say that, like, everyone's talking about drafting Tua, and I know Tua's a lot younger. We're watching videos of him throwing in a t-shirt and shorts, and people are like, oh, look at how well he's moving. And we watch videos of Cam Newton throwing in a t-shirt and shorts, and everyone's like, well, I hope his shoulder's okay. It's like, well, why are we, you know, why isn't the same analysis being given to both? I, I think the deal is, is... Well, I kind of get I'm that, a, though, because with two it's I'm his a, lower body and with Cam, it's his upper body, right? Yes, but I'm also assuming that, like, he that he comes out of this soldier's shoulder surgery healthy because aside from the Carolina Panthers cutting him because they want to move in a new direction, and we could talk about how Coach Rule has come in and kind of brought in all his former Temple guys and is going this Temple, Temple, Temple route. Uh, you know, I, I feel like there's no real reason for me to be like, well, he's done because he's a 31-year-old quarterback. We've seen plenty of 31-year-old quarterbacks come back from injury of his caliber, come back from injuries to their shoulders, arms, legs, whatever. Um, we've, we're seeing quarterbacks play till much later in life. Now, does he get to play till much later in life because he ran like a running back early in his career? I don't know. But does he also get to play past 31 as a quarterback? I would assume he's got a little more left in the tank. I don't think that Bill Belichick is going to love – I don't know. Like, So there's a part of me that's – the swag piece of Cam Newton – I think is anti-Belichick, especially at the quarterback position. If Cam Newton were a receiver, Cam Newton's a linebacker, you could probably get away with that a little bit more. But your face of the franchise, I don't think that Belichick's going to necessarily love that. Like he's not. I don't think Belichick's going to love coming to the podium in different outfits that people are going to be talking about on Monday, whether you won or lost. Uh, what I will say is that that attitude piece, that chip on the shoulder piece, I think Belichick would obviously love that, right? He's he's obviously taken his chance on a lot of guys like a Randy Moss. I'm now I'm forgetting the name of the running back who they got from um from the Bengals. Um, but he's taken a chance. Yeah, Corey Dillon. Um, he's taken a chance on some guys like that. So it seems like that could make some he, sense. He even just took a chance on Antonio Brown last year and kind of had his cards played for him when he had to get rid of him. I mean, he will go get guys with much heavier bag. Cam Newton's baggage is he likes to wear fancy, expensive clothes that are outlandish. The difference between these guys who were talking about those that they weren't quarterbacks, and so maybe that 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 plays into it as well. My my argument there that I see is that they've also only had one quarterback for two decades, and so I don't know. If that's really like. They well, but I mean, now up, they so have the oppor- I... now they have the opportunity though, right? And they haven't jumped to sign him, which may, well, which says. Hey, the, we we are hesitant for some reason, right? But as far as like media attention, they did go get Tim Tebow as well. I mean, he was a backup quarterback, but they they were gonna have a lot of cameras on said backup quarterback when they went out and got him. You yeah, know, and I, how long did they keep him? Right? Didn't they? Well, but he can't play, and I'll sit here. Well, day, that's like he can't play. Obviously, that's obviously that's a big part of it. Was <laughs> that's a big his ability, he right? He can't play. Yeah, that's. 
he could play a lot of other positions, and he's a great human being. And I don't mean to diminish Tim Tebow, but a great, fun time in college. He's a great college quarterback. He's not a pro quarterback. They still tried him out with all of the media attention he got. And so, and again, I also don't think Cam, I mean, he's not going to go steal laptops on an NFL paycheck, and he's not worried about getting paid by under-the-table, you know, boosters with an NFL paycheck. Those were his biggest, you know, crimes. Well, no, but he, he can still come out and say something stupid like, I can't believe a woman's talking routes. Like, he could still do something dumb like that as your quarterback, as your face of franchise. This is the stuff that Brady never did, right? And so you never had to worry about that with Tom Brady. You never had to worry about that being the talk on Wednesday. And you know that Bill Belichick does not want to have to deal with that kind of talk. Oh, but I'm not sure it wasn't in Brady, the way Brady handled this whole free agency thing with the Hulu ads and the da-da-da and all that kind of, like, I, I think that there was some conscious talk about we're not going to do this, Tom, and then he didn't do it because on, his exodus was – a little bit different than any other player while they're in New England, right? I mean, that was different. I mean, maybe. I don't know that that stuff compares to Cam Newton losing endorsement deals because of the comments that he made to the female reporter, though. Like, that I, that feels like what Tom Brady did feels un-New England. It doesn't feel controversial. What Cam Newton did was definitively controversial, and now it's during the season and we're not talking football. When you talk about, like, should New England sign him as the thesis— and I think of what I've seen New England done and what I've seen New England do in the last 20 years as far as working that out of guys, I, I would absolutely think New England could do some things like, hey, Cam, be real simple in press conferences, regardless of what he wears. Don't say anything in press conferences. Hey, Cam, we're, you know, we're going to keep a straight face here. Hey, Cam, like they clearly coach guys up on that all the time. And I guess that's why when I heard the thesis – uh, should they sign him? I'm like, man, if anyone's gonna take a chance on that kind of stuff, it's gonna be New England. They, don't, you know, it's not. They're not Cleveland, for, and they're not Cleveland for a reason. You know, <laughs> um, so that that was my thought. Okay, Shaka, history lesson and thesis number two. The NBA should hold its players out of the now 2021 Summer Olympics in Tokyo. What do you say? Okay, I am going to give that a high grade. I'm going to fall just short of an A, though. I think I'm going to go B+, because there's one consideration. But otherwise, that's pretty strong to me. What do you think, Parker? I was also in the B range. Um, I'm not totally against it, and I wonder if we're against it for different reasons. Uh, You're a a Kentucky guy, and so you know a lot more about college basketball. I I like my Longhorns, and we're not really a basketball school these days. But... (laughs) I, I give it a B range grade. Too. I was thinking a straight up B in my head, so that's interesting. Okay, Shaka, you were a little higher than me on the grade. We're both in the B-ish range, but you gave it a B plus, and we're even talking about an A A range grade there for a second. Um, so, what makes you give that thesis that high an A? So let's start with the global pandemic situation, right? The fact that the Olympics, ha- the uh, the Prime Minister of Japan. The Olympic Committee came out with the postponement. So it's official that the Olympics are going to be postponed. It's looking like 2021 is going to be the timing of the Olympics. And so if they do July 2021, so we're making some assumptions there in terms of the timing. If they go with July 2021, NBA players conceivably could be available for that time. Uh, the, The first reason why, in my mind, the NBA should hold their players out is global pandemic. The fact that... I mean, the reality is, is that we don't know, we don't know enough about coronavirus and what it's going to be like in 2021 in that summer. Um, It feels like the NBA should be incredibly cautious in terms of letting their players participate 
in this type of a tournament, in this international level tournament, uh, $230 million. That's how much the Olympic team generates in terms of revenue from their NBA franchises. So when you got right. that level of investment, in your players that are participating in the Olympics, it feels like, um, yeah, we, we got twenty two hundred $230 million tied up. We need to make sure that that's taken care of. So that's the first thing that I come to. Um, the, the other pieces are, I think, just kind of general history lesson type of arguments to say, I don't know that we need the NBA players to be in the Olympics anymore. Uh, in 1992, when the Dream Team was put together, it felt like, there was a point to prove. There was a point to prove that the NBA had the best basketball players, and we're going to put together this amazing squad of players, and we're going to go kick the world's butt at our game. And when that was the reasoning and that was the message, then it was like, okay, awesome, yeah, put this team together. Go make that happen. And to go ahead in 1996 and do it again just to make sure that people don't forget, like, that wasn't a fluke, what we did. Yeah, okay, I get it. Um, 1988, the college kids won bronze, the Soviet Union won gold. And that's a big deal. If you remember back to cold war times. So 92 felt like, yes, it makes sense. Put the team together so that we can go kick butt. And the NBA got all these tangential, uh, benefits in terms of international exposure and the level of international players that end up coming out of the fact that the dream team ended up playing and that was their inspiration and now they're in the NBA playing basketball. So all those tangential things are great. Uh, at some point, the message has been sent. Like, we get it. The NBA players are better than everyone else. And you, it's funny too, because like if you go back and look at 88 Parker, Soviet Union won gold. Serenus Marshallonis was on that team. Arvidas Sabonis was on that team. Those are NBA guys. And then the, NBA yeah, guys. Yeah, I mean, and the, the uh, team that won... Uh, Silver was Yugoslavia that had like Drazen Petrovic. They had like Vladi Divac. Right. Tony Kukoc was on that team. Like they didn't lose. Playing like, against college kids. Yeah, the 88 team was a bunch of college guys. Charles Smith, J.R. Reed. Those are some of the guys who were on the team. They weren't, you know, that team wasn't a bunch of scrubs. Like I pulled it up right now. Mitch Richmond, Hersey Hawkins, Stacey Augment, Thunder Dan Marley, Danny Manning, David Robinson. Like these were the guys who were on the team, but they were college guys. Well, so Dave like Robinson was pretty great college player as well. well listen, like, but that's, uh, that's fair. He's on his he's 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 a different class of player than a lot of those guys. Was, I, yes, I will say that, but he's also going up against Vladi Divac and Arvita Sabonis, who are grown ass men in their prime, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. so it's in just their, a little in their prime thing. that we all miss here in the states. Honestly. Absolutely. Um. So, I it, and that, I'd only bring that up to say that the '88 team kind of gets a lot of crap for losing. Or winning bronze, I should say, but they didn't lose to a bunch of scrubs. They actually, it was good teams that, that kind of took care of them. Um, and so we proved the message with 92 and 96 and 2000. You know, 2004 was iffy. <laughs> Those guys, like, had Allen right. Iverson and Vince Carter, and guys on the team that still won bronze. LeBron was on that team, too, by the way. But then we. At we, 19 years old. But we even came back in 2008. We came back in 2012, 2016. So now it feels like, okay, what's the point? Like, it actually feels like, let's go ahead. Give some college kids the opportunity to uh, be exposed to what the rigor of professional basketball looks like because other countries are still going to send their best players and let them go. Like, let the college players actually get that exposure, maybe come back to college and do really well. I will say that the one caveat as to why maybe the NBA should consider 
reneging on this and sending their NBA players still is that international exposure piece and having the opportunity for Steph Curry and LeBron James and uh, the whoever the best player Kawhi completely. You know the the international and exposure. Tokyo too. I mean that's it's a big deal. Well, and you know I. I gave it a B because I'm still kind of waffling on it, I guess, as far as whether or not I agree with it. Um, I get why the NBA from a wear and tear and health perspective would want to say, you know, our guys get international exposure. It's 2020. It's not 1990. It's a very different time uh, as far as these guys already being exposed internationally and being stars internationally and social media presences. And, you know, they're all doing Instagram live videos and we're watching LeBron work out at home every day right now and, and those kinds of things, right? Um, I how I do, however, think that the Olympics, the Olymp United States Basketball Association, like USA Basketball, also clearly wants these guys because I think 2004 was a wake-up call in a lot of ways that you can't just slap a bunch of whatever NBA players together and go do this. You need a team of players. Because what you're talking about when you talk about just sending college players is just sending a bunch of, for lack of a better number, roughly 20-year-old kids overseas to say, go represent this country playing basketball. If the 2004 team had a 20-year-old version of a guy named LeBron James and a 21-year-old version of a guy named Carmelo Anthony and a just out of college, you know, one year out of college version of Dwayne Wade, like, that had some of the best talent the NBA had a few years later as they were just out of college and they, yeah, they got bronze. Right. And, and I, I just, I don't, I don't think that the United States wants to, wants to go back to days of winning bronze either. <laughs> they do lose to Argentina in the semis with a guy named Manu Ginobili, who has a pretty good NBA career of his own. <laughs> it wasn't but just I'm like Manu, you, I don't think, guys I don't think squad. that the NBA can sell international players as easily on this idea as they can sell American players either. Cause I, Bet if they said, Luca, you can't go play in the Olympics, Luca's going to have a lot more difficult time with that decision or whatever fine or whatever the NBA does with him if he were to go play than like LeBron would, right? Um, international players wearing their flag is a big deal to them. Uh, and and I, I don't think that they would take that as lightly as an NBA player that's born in the States would take that. What I will say is that the NBA has a model for ensuring <laughs> – that this is carried through with the NHL. The NHL made the decision in the last Olympics, in the last Winter Olympics, that if you're in the NHL, you can't be in this thing. And the star of the NHL, Alex Ovechkin, said, I'm going to go play. And the Winter Olympics rolled around, and that dude didn't play because the reality was he wasn't willing to give up his NHL contract money. So if Luka is willing to sacrifice that kind of money, then... Maybe he would then go play, but it feels like the NBA has recourse with the contract. Where it the, could become sticky is would young players who are international players come over here before playing in an Olympics? Maybe they would right. wait until after they played in an Olympics. But with the guys who are in the league, I think they're going to be good. Well, and you'll get a young guy like Luca though, saying, whoa, 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 whoa. When I came here, this was not the case. This is not what I signed up for. And the other difference between the NBA situation and the NHL situation that you're brought up is that that was happening during a hockey season, right? Theoretically, without knowing exactly how the schedules are going to lay out the next 18 months, this would not be happening at the same time as NBA basketball because obviously it's happening at the same time. It's like the NBA, we're assuming this is happening in July of 2021, and we're assuming that the 2021 basketball season is wrapping up in June, just like a normal NBA basketball season was. If for some reason, because of logistics of scheduling things, Tokyo had to play it in May, 
obviously a lot of NBA guys would be like, look, I got to sit here and make a playoff run, guys. Well, so you pointed out a couple of things that I think um, definitely solid points, but things that uh, I I don't know, I, I disagree with a little bit. The first one is kind of just looking at 2004 and saying, well, based on what happened in 2004, we need to send our pros. Well, we reacted to 2004. We reacted by putting Jerry Colangelo in charge of USA Basketball, getting Mike Krzyzewski to coach those couple of teams by actually creating training camp scenarios where the players were told, if you're going to commit to USA Basketball, that it's going to be very different than what it had been in previous Olympic years. You have to be a part of a team and you can be called up and you have to commit to playing in the summer and playing in the qualifying tournaments. And so what I think that what 2004 helped us to do is put in place a system where we know that if we use this system, we're going to get the best possible results with whatever team we have available to us. Now, obviously, any system works better with better players. So I'm not here to tell you that we're going to put college players out there and do the same things that you know LeBron James is able to do. What we do have is a system that if these guys, if we're talking about college guys in particular, college guys, their season wraps up in April. Could we do training camps, those sorts of things, May all the way through the Olympics with these uh, guys who are on the U19 team, which there's a lot of talent there, guys who are currently in college. You know, I the, the thesis statement reads NBA players. There's nothing that says that if you're a professional, but you're just not in the NBA, that you couldn't participate in this thing. So maybe even calling on some uh, international uh, American stars to come back and play in this thing and then try to put together a team in that way that really can come together compete i i think that the u.s definitely could put together a team that's going to be solid and that's going to be uh representative the 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 reward is not worth the risk there's no guy it, who looks back on their career and thinks that their gold medal is worth more than an nba championship and so it's going to be hard to be an owner and say i'm going to put this asset at risk and there's risk not only because paul george broke his leg in this case, with this global pandemic, kind of, we don't know what the reaction is going to be in 2021. Um, and I, I have a tough time thinking that Mark Cuban is going to be good sending Porzingis and Luca. I, I think it's a very American mindset of it, though, to be like, well, of course, they all value this as different. I think international players do value how they play with their flag on their chest in a little bit different way than Americans do. I also think that, like, it's such an important part of how we judge a guy like Carmelo Anthony, right? Like, we would, Carmelo Anthony is going to be a Hall of Fame basketball player, for sure, right? But in large part, it's the Basketball Hall of Fame, and he embodies the idea that that is all of basketball because of his freshman run at Syracuse and his Olympic runs in 08 and 12 and 16, right? Like, he is this, you know, he is basketball at bigger levels than the NBA. Because if it's just the NBA, he had, like, a Western Conference Finals run one year when he's younger, and, like, he was on the Knicks that one year in the mid He also recently. averaged 25 points a game for his whole career and made a bunch of all-star teams at first team all in. Like, I mean, I don't know. Carmelo, but to a me, lot, is not But his reason. accomplishments include, like, Olympic Carmelo is a, like, identifier. Like, it's like Olympic Carmelo. Everyone was trying to unlock Olympic Carmelo after he Yeah, I get that, but do. no one cares about Olympic Allen Iverson. That didn't hold him out. The fact that he was on the 2004 team is, like, no one was saying, oh, he's not going to make the Hall of Fame because, like, I, I No, but he had already had 2001. Like, uh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah but he, he has nothing. He literally has no, he has no championship in college. He has no championship in the, like, I guess what I'm saying is, I, I and I, 
I do think that you're 100% correct. He has an MVP correct. that Carmelo didn't have, though, Shaka. He, you're you're 100% correct in saying that it's a very American perspective because that's what it is. It is an American perspective. Um, and the reality is you're playing basketball in America, right? You're playing in the NBA. So those owners are going to have that American right. capitalist perspective. Um, and that's the perspective that you're going to have to fight when thinking about uh, whether or not you're going to send your guys. So um, while I agree with you that the that – Maybe there should be a little bit more international perspective considered. I just don't think that that's going to be the reality of it. I I guess the deal is that if you're going to have these American businessmen with how many international players are in the league, you're going to cause friction that way too. I am open though to talking about like based on when the games are. Like if you said like the NBA said, hey, anyone who's in the playoffs, you know, like you're missing all of your game checks if you go or, or whatever. And then it puts the ball kind of in the player's court if they want to go or not. And you would have, I would think, a lot of Americans like the LeBrons and the Anthony Davises that assume they're in the playoffs would go ahead and say, well, we're staying here, and they wouldn't even train for it, right? Um, I don't know that a younger guy like a Luka would do that. I, and he, and they're the in the playoffs, right? The NBA... There's, the NBA has recourse beyond your playoff. You can't go do anything that the NBA ownership doesn't allow you to go do once you sign that NBA contract. So as soon as the NBA, is, the NBA says, but those contracts go, been signed. Yes, absolutely. So we won't. We just signed. won't pay you. We just won't pay you. Like that. That's you. You can't go because but they weren't signed under this. That's not this. how. That's not how the contract works. That's the the contracts. You're about to upset a lot of international players. Is what I'm saying. Okay. You're about to that's, upset a lot of guys, and they'll and, all pull out. They'll. I mean, they they'll start. You'll stop getting guys like Luca at 19. You'll start getting them at 26. I don't know that NBA guys. Once again, I don't know that NBA owners are going to necessarily be that angry about it. Because the reality, I don't, okay, if I don't get Luca when he's 19, that's fine. He can go languish and make less money in Spain. Uh, I'll get Kay Cunningham when he's 19. Like, that's, I mean, I'll get 19-year-olds who can ball. Like, that's not the issue. The issue then becomes but whether, then you have, But then you have a, do have a prestige argument where you have people saying, well, is this really the best league in the world if we're not going to, like, look at a guy like a Luka because he won't come play yet. No like, one's going to question that the NBA is the best. That's what I'm. That's the reason why you don't have to send your place. No one's questioning got, if the NBA is the best league in the world. But you've already got one of its owners questioning if the American way to produce a basketball player is. I mean, Cuban's been debating that for a long time now, if the way that Americans create basketball players is the best way to do it. Awesome. So I that's, that's fine. You can look at different ways to develop your basketball players in America. I don't think that anyone... I don't know. There's, that's that's just natural progression. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, I don't think that Mark Cuban questions that NBA players are the best players in the world. I don't think anybody questions that. The, the reason why you set the players in 92 is because maybe there was a little bit of that rumbling. And 92 squashed that. And 2008 squashed it again when maybe there was a little bit of that rumbling in 2004. Like, there's no question who the best, who has the best basketball player. The best league. I'm not saying if, there currently is. I'm saying if you alter the system, you could have unintended consequences, including people start asking. I don't think That's you're going to have any unintended consequences because there's only one league paying their dudes $25 million a year to play ball. There's only one league paying dudes $30 million a year. Like, you can, like, I. so again, the, this is, this gets back to the contract piece. As long as I'm paying you $200 million to play basketball, I'm going to tell you whether or not you can play on these Olympics. The only reason why the Olympic teams have NBA players now is because the NBA allows it. 
The moment that the NBA says, no, we don't allow it, then the Olympics have to look at some other model in order to get their players. And as long as you have the opportunity to make 20, 25, 30 million dollars playing basketball, I don't think that there's a bunch of international players who are going to say, I'm going to give up that money to where my country's name across my chest. And the reality is, is that those guys will get the opportunity to do it when they're 16, 17 years old. Anyway, Luka Doncic will get the opportunity. It's not Luka Doncic who uh, won't ever play for an Olympic team. He will play for an Olympic team because he's, he was incredibly talented when he was 15 years old. So he'll still get that opportunity. Okay, Parker. So this week we have an essay question and our essay question involves the Action Network and their NBA King of the Hill one-on-one -on -one tournament. The essay question is, who wins this thing? So Parker, <laughs> talk to me about it. What do you, who do you think would end up winning this tournament? So first for listeners that are not as dedicated to their Twitter in this time of isolation like myself, <laughs> um, Action Network is a, a very cool follow and I recommend several people to follow from them um, on all forms of social media, but they decided to put together in this time without sports, the Action Network NBA King of the Hill tournament bracket. And it's a one-on-one -on -one tournament with a with 64 seated players and it's all uh simulated in a you know in a video game type scenario through nba 2k i believe um and it's all simulated uh players going through and playing a 64 person one-on-one -on -one bracket um it's a really cool idea because of it frankly brings out a very different element of the game we're going to get into that i'm sure as we break down who's where um but it breaks down, you know, one-on-one -on -one basketball versus being a good team basketball player. Because, like, looking at historic people that aren't on here, John Stockton would not be a one-on-one -on -one basketball player Hall of Fame. He certainly is a team basketball player Hall of Famer, though, right? And so, like, players like that um, that have skills that require other players on the floor are, are a little bit at a disadvantage. But one-on-one -on -one scorers who might have other flaws in their game have a big advantage. And so... Um, the four one seeds are also got the four. If you think about a 64 team bracket, like the NCAA tournament, um, they got each got their own region. So Kawhi Leonard, Giannis Antetokounmpo, James Harden, and LeBron James are the four number one seeds. Um, I guess if you just want chalk, that would also be your final four. But I'm guessing you and I both didn't just go chalk. I'm also um, envisioning that there was like. <laughs> so Parker's a Rockets homer, right? So I know that. <laughs> but I'm also envisioning that there was like this groan when people found out Harden was a one seed. Like, oh, come on. Like, I'm envisioning that, oh. even though I think he definitively should be a one. So I'm not questioning it. I'm just wondering. To anyone, to anyone questioning it, just remember that in 2018, they had a historic level offense. A hit, like, a, it, it's in the history books as far as pace and points per possession, da, da, da. And the offense was, this dude needs to run an ISO. So, like, let's think about, like, when we're talking about one-on-one <laughs> basketball, or you talk about, like, historic seasons. I mean, like, that is... That's as, as big as it gets. Um, He's also in the toughest region, in my opinion. But we'll get into so it. So we're going to get into that. We're going to get into that. So I guess, Shaka, my first thing to you would be in writing this essay, you know, the first part's got to be, what are some intriguing opening round matchups? Can I tell you that the the one sixteen with James Harden and Blake Griffin, to me, is interesting. Because, like, a healthy Blake Griffin, people forget what he was, man. And he was an animal. And so that was one of those. But the whole... That Harden region, in my opinion, is the most difficult region. And if you start looking at the first round matchups, like if you know ball, there's a the whole region, the first round matchups are incredible. So like 
CJ McCollum, Spencer Dinwiddie is the eight nine. That's right. I mean, CJ is not a big dude. Dinwiddie's going to be significantly bigger, and skill wise, they actually are pretty similar players. Um, Steph That's Curry, not the one I was even thinking. Steph Curry, Steph Lou, Curry Williams. Lou Williams. The like, five twelve, I thought was interesting. I think Lou Williams is really good at this kind of a game. This is the kind of um, thing that Lou Williams probably would excel at. The one piece that um, that you got to consider with Steph is like <laughs> I don't. We we probably have all been in a situation where we've played um, either half court basketball, one on one basketball versus a really good shooter, and at some point you got to check them up. And you got to check him. And at least the rules in the New York City parks, you got to be below the free throw line when you check this dude. But that dude standing <laughs> at the three-point line, like Steph might win 11-0 because he just you can't just get to his three. De'Aaron Fox, Bam Adebayo, that's a BBN matchup. Big Blue Nation would love to see that. I think that De'Aaron Fox kind of dominates it. Um, oh, that's interesting. Okay. Oh, so you think that Bam – okay. I think a guy like Bam is weirdly built for this, not because – He's a dominant scorer, but because if you check him the ball at the top of the three, he is both a giant at, you know, 6'11", 70, wherever he's listed at, and he can put it on the floor. And I think that's a big advantage. When I made my picks in this, I, that was a big advantage to me for a guy like Bam. Um, so I had Bam over Fox, but I, you are the BBN guy. Oh, but wow. That, oh, no, um, I definitely that was one of that Your was one box. of my that was one of my upsets. Was I had Bam going pretty far actually. So we'll talk well, more. That's that the in a thing second, too but. is that you have to have upsets in this thing because it's not gonna go chalk. But Swiper, nah, he. Go, I think he's got Bam. <laughs> like I, I think that there's a speed component that comes to. Uh, you got to dribble the ball against Swiper the Fox. And Swiper, Swiper swipes. That's what he does, guys. <laughs> uh, outside of the Harden region, I mean, there's definitely some other great matches. I kind of like the Zion Williamson, Derek Rose, 5-12. I think that's kind of a sneaky good matchup. Um, I also like the Carmelo Anthony, Carl Anthony Towns, 4-13. It's just that it's this version of Melo. So that's kind right. of interesting. If you're going with, like, everyone's best version of himself, Carmelo goes very far in this. Well, He's if you go with everyone's best version of themselves, Carmelo's not a 13, right? I mean, exactly. Carmelo's a 13 yeah, yeah, yeah. now. He, Carmelo's he, goes, a, he might be a one. This is his like style this. of basketball. This Absolutely. is 100% catering towards Carmelo. Well, listen, if Harden gets a one seed, Carmelo was harder before Harden was Harden, right? I mean, he was ISO basketball running the stuff for me with uh, the diff the caveat being that James Harden's a better three-point shooter. Um, what are some of the first-round matches? I'm going, I'll go through all of mine, but let's talk about some of the ones that you think are interesting, Parker. I liked the 413 in the Kawhi region. It's Damian Lillard, D'Angelo Russell. I think D'Angelo Russell's going to yes, be really good this. Yes, that is a very good matchup. I end up still settling on not being an upset because I think Dame's got the you know the range thing, kind of like you were talking about with Steph Curry, where at some point he's just going to check it from farther away than you can guard, and you got to go. He's going to just launch it from half court. Logo Lillard's got a got a big advantage there. Um, I thought Donovan Mitchell, Clay Thompson is a 710 in that region is an interesting one because the, the only question there is Clay's health. In my mind, Clay's right. I think Clay's better. But if if we're talking about Clay coming off of his injury, that's a much more interesting game to me. It is, but it's also his game. You talk about checking on a guy just shooting the ball over the top he of you. He's a little bit taller. Team. He's a little bit taller. He's a little bit longer. And the truth is, you can have a hand over his face and smelling his breath, and it doesn't matter, right? And so I think <laughs> if he gets ball first, if he gets ball, if he ever gets the basketball, I'm assuming the higher seeded player gets the ball first. But if he ever gets the basketball, you might just be done. You might not get it back. Kevin Durant being a two seed in this is interesting to me because Kevin Durant, like finals MVP in 2018 Kevin Durant, is a, easily a one seed, if not the number one overall seed to me. I mean, he is such an impossible cover. I had Gordon Hayward upsetting Russell Westbrook as a 5'12 in the LeBron region. 
Um, you got to be kidding. You are going to get your Rockets card revoked. Did you just say Russell Westbrook's losing in the first round? My So here's my thing, though, is I'm thinking about one-on-one basketball playing, right? And, like, if I know the dude I'm covering can't shoot Shaka, I'm not going out there on him. Like, <laughs> but if Russell, go. Here's the thing. If Russell Westbrook gets the ball first, Gordon Haywood might have to just foul him the whole game because Russell's going by Gordon Haywood and he's dunking right. the ball every time. Well, but you got to pick upsets, and that five. You know, if you do your your NCAA tournament bracket, the five twelve is the most common upset. That is right? true. Five twelve is so a traditional upset. That was I was looking for five twelves, and that was a five twelve. I said, well, you know, Hayward's not dumb, and he could back off, and he could, you know, that was Kyle Lowry matchup is interesting to me. Um, if it's call your own fouls, Kyle Lowry's going to call a lot of fouls. <laughs> 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 um, Kyle Lowry's the kind of guy, one hundred percent, the guy that takes a charge at the Y and has no qualms about it. And so I, I want how that would work in this um what other upsets do i have let me see if i can find yeah. other upsets i will say that Kristaps uh, porzingis is someone who i have going very far in this oh and, interesting yeah i okay. have so i think that the thing that Kyrie would struggle with with Kristaps is that uh Kristaps is seven three and at some point yeah. uh Kyrie's gonna have to get a shot like Kyrie traditionally blows by everybody he's gonna also blow by porzingis the difference is is that porzingis's length will make up for that so I will just tell you that uh, I have Kristaps Porzingis in the Elite Eight. In order to get to the oh, Elite Eight, he has to beat Kyrie. So I have yeah. him obviously beating Kyrie. Um, I don't have him going that far. I'll get to that breakdown in a second. My other upset in the Giannis region, I don't have chalk in the Giannis region, but I do have a lot of a lot of chalk, I guess I should say, in the Giannis region. Um, my my big upset on that side is I think I have Danilo as the 14 over Ben Simmons as the 3. Um and my thought there is kind of like when I had Hayward beating Westbrook, except Danilo and Ben Simmons are also, Danilo is one of the few guys big enough to cover Ben Simmons. Um, I got Chris Middleton over Chris Paul. I'll tell you that. Um, that's another, that's another oh, size thing. That's a size thing with a shooter. It's going to be very difficult for uh, Chris Paul to do anything in my mind. Um, it's, it would be incredibly difficult for him. Um, I will tell yeah. you a 6'11 that maybe people sleep on. I think that Jalen Brown is incredibly good in a tournament like this, but he got a bad matchup because he's a six seed and his 11 is Trey Young and Trey Young's winning. Sorry, Trey Young's winning that matchup. Trey Young is another one of these dudes. If he gets the ball, you won't get it back because he's shooting it. When you check it up below the free throw line, he's shooting it every time you can't block his shot. That's just a tough, tough matchup. I don't have any crazy dramatic kind of upsets because I actually think that they did a really good job with the seeding again i have a guy like Kristaps porzingis in the elite eight and for me that's probably the biggest like uh if you looked at my bracket that's probably the biggest surprise that anyone so i had that's interesting so i had trey young in the sweet 16 um trey young is an 11 seed so it's not a huge upset but um, i will say that if he's in the sweet 16 that means that he's got to beat i assume that you have jason tatum beating fred van vliet which means he's got to beat jason tatum which to me that would be a big upset i am partial to big guys who are multifaceted in an environment like this one because if you are a big who can shoot and handle the ball like a wing I think that you're going to do really well in something like this. Teams are going, or individual players will struggle if they're shorter than you. So let's, a guy like Christoph Porzingis, I have advancing pretty far. I have Paul George advancing pretty far. I have Ben Simmons advancing pretty far. I also have Zion Williamson getting as far as he can get. 
eventually, though, he yeah. runs into the quote as ul- far as he can get <laughs> because he runs into the <laughs> ultimate person. Like if I tell you, if I say to you, Parker, hey, listen, I like big guys who can handle the ball. What would be the number right. one example of that? It's Giannis Antetokounmpo, and so Zion right. eventually runs into Giannis. I have Giannis in the championship game in this thing. So we've been talking for a little bit, Parker. Let's talk about our final four. So what's your final four in this thing? My final four are out of the Kawhi region, I have Kevin Durant. Out of the LeBron region, I have LeBron. Uh, Out of the James Harden region, I have James Harden. And out of the Giannis region, the closest thing I have to an upset of any kind is the uh, two-seed Anthony Davis. Wow. Okay, so it's it's funny because, um, yeah, I have the exact same thing with the exception of I have Giannis. I told you I have Giannis in the championship game. So I have, in the Kawhi region, I have Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant as a two-seed in this thing. This is, uh, I mean, he's not a two-seed. Sorry, he's, he should be a one. Uh, yeah. Le- LeBron is, the is I, I think LeBron is incredible in an environment like this because of the combination of size and skill. Um, I love James Harden. I think James Harden has the toughest region to get through. So if there's any one seed that feels like, oh, man, they get knocked off when someone doesn't expect them to get knocked off. It's Harden, but not because Harden's not great. It's because he has to get through Steph Curry, Jimmy Butler, Devin Booker, uh, De'Aaron Fox, Paul George, Bam Adebayo, Joel Embiid. Like, he's got a monstrous region. So it's it's interesting you say that. And I'll start with the Harden region. That's where you ended. But I really think if Harden beats Blake Griffin in the 116, I have him playing Spencer Dinwiddie next. Um, and I think that's a matchup Harden wins. Um, I have him playing Steph Curry next, and you know Harden gets the ball first there, and so I think that helps him a lot in, the, in that one. In their playoff battles, obviously the Warriors have had a lot more success the last five years, but there have been a lot of games where Harden has made Steph Curry look kind of silly. Um, Steph Curry had the second half of the game, was that game six last year, so he had the last laugh, but Harden has had plenty of moments that he made Warriors, Steph Curry in particular, look silly, and they certainly seek to get him in that one-on-one matchup when they're actually playing one another. Part of that's because Steph Curry's not Iguodala or Draymond or Clay, right? He's just the lesser of all the evils, but um, it, he seems to seek out that matchup in real life. I have him also, just like, if he can beat Blake Griffin, I have Bam, as I said earlier, in the Elite Eight, uh, going past Bam out of bio there. I guess all that is to say is that I think one of the things that Harden has that is the hardest is Blake Griffin at his one sixteen matchup. I can't. I guess that's because of health. But Blake Griffin as a sixteen seed is tough, tough. And I said it um, when um, when we were talking about just intriguing opening round matchups. I mean, that region is full of them, and part of it is that one sixteen. Like Blake Griffin, people forget because he's gone to Detroit and he basically languishes in Detroit. He's not in L.A. anymore. The health piece is another consideration. Blake Griffin. Once Upon a Time was actually built for something like this. Like, Blake Griffin would have been kind of the Bam Adebayo, Giannis Antetokounmpo, uh, Christoph Porzingis, the big guy who actually has a lot of skill. Blake actually could shoot a little bit, too. Um, so, I, uh, but that's a, it's, he's got a, I mean, Harden's hard to beat. Hard is just hard to beat in anything like this. You said who did you who do you have winning the whole thing? Once you said you had Giannis winning it all. No, 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 no. Oh no, any tournament that LeBron James is in. I got LeBron James, so it doesn't matter if he's with a team, without a team. If LeBron's <laughs> in it, I'm picking LeBron. If LeBron was in a football tournament, I'm picking LeBron. I'm picking LeBron in any athletic endeavor. So I have LeBron playing Giannis in the championship game, and I have LeBron James just overwhelming 
uh, Giannis with his talent, which is what I think LeBron does to everyone in this thing because LeBron James is 6'9", 260, 270 pounds. Just depends on what he had for Taco Tuesday. He's incredibly <laughs> skilled. He this he is the – if I were to go into a lab and build someone for something like this, I'm building LeBron. So that's interesting because I – so I have – Durant over Harden so we went opposite regions as far as who we picked but I have Durant beating Harden in the final um I think we all we both went with the idea of guys with size that can handle the basketball and shoot the basketball uh you know Giannis being if he's on the right street side of the streaky shooting um and I think it's interesting that like you know Harden is long-armed and you know built like an ox um LeBron is, you know, like you're saying, depending on how much many tacos he had on Taco Tuesday, could be pushing 280 even. Um, Durant's super long. I have Davis is super long. I just, I think those kinds of things are going to build this one-on-one player that's going to be good at this. Um, what what little guy is most likely to win this thing? Like if oh, I was to say to you, someone who's six five or shorter. You know what? Let me not say because you'll say Harden. Someone who's six four <laughs> or shorter. Someone who's six four six, or shorter. Four. Um, so I have Kyrie in my elite eight. Um, he is, as I look at it, the only guy under, you know, six, four under in my elite eight. Um, I, I really, I said it earlier, I think he's built for this. I think the deal is he's so crafty that even if you have length on him, he can figure out a way to get around your arms and put spin on the ball and put it in the basket. So, but I, my first thought was Kyrie when, I, when you said that. How, who's your first thought? Steph Curry because of the shooting. Yeah. Steph Curry would be the guy who, like, if I was to say who's the little guy who's most likely, and let me say this, I am not, I've never been a huge Kyrie guy, and that's for another pod. We can talk about all of these <laughs> issues. I do think that a tournament like this, especially the matchups that he gets, he's actually built to do pretty well. The issue that he runs into is that at some point, even if people think that I'm wrong on Porzingis, then he's going to have to see either DeMar DeRozan or Pascal Siakam, and he's gonna, he'll eventually see someone with length that has incredible athleticism, and I think that that's where he uh, he's going to end up struggling. His little quadrant, he's actually set up to do really well. And he starts with Demata Sabonis, who has incredible length. I just don't think that he's athletic enough. But then his next matchup is TJ Warren or Drew Holiday. And I think that Kyrie yeah. can get by both of them. Where he runs into troubles in the Sweet 16, he's either seeing DeMar DeRozan, Kristaps Porzingis, Pascal Siakam, or Kyle Lowry, who's not going to be... You could call all the charges you want. Kyle Lowry's losing the first <laughs> round. Um, so I just don't... I, Kyrie runs into some tough matchups. And I don't think that he's the level of shooter that he just shoot his way out. Like, uh, Steph, he, Steph can shoot his way yeah. out. Kyrie's had days where he's feeling himself. Um, his, he has, you know, one of the most iconic final shots as a three-point fall away off the dribble. That would be perfect in this game. But he's not known for that. I guess that's fair. And he, you, sold all the, you said all those matchups. He also, if he gets the Elite Eight, has to match up with LeBron James. Like, <laughs> it just doesn't get easy for him. He just He's in a bad spot for that. LeBron would relish the opportunity to play Kyrie one-on-one for something that mattered. Like, that was oh, so much and- fun. You think that like smirk he had when he swatted Steph stuff out of bounds? He like had a little smirk and kind of knocked it. Bobbed his head a little bit. That would be every play, every what, single. What is play. the what's the line? Like what's the ultimate smack talk line to Kyrie when he does something like that to him? Ooh, you know it's the Jay Z line. It's uh, get off the throne, you clones. The king's back. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right, friends, so that is this week's episode of FN Sports. A lot of laughs, a lot of uh, good sports chatter, even in the face of a quarantine. You take that, COVID-19. <laughs> uh, Parker, you want to give them your socials? Yeah, uh, feel free to find me on Instagram or Twitter. Both handles are the same. It's at Painsworth 512 That's at Painsworth 512 uh, Give me a shout. Let me know what you think. Let me know if I'm horribly off on who wins a one-on-one or if the patch should absolutely not take Cam Newton or whatever you think. Um, we also, you can find me on our, uh, we have a, a Twitter page specifically for the pod. It's at FNSports2. That's F-I-N-S-P-O-R-T-S, the number two. Uh, all one word on Twitter. All letters. Um, <laughs> uh, we, I'm at Shaka Cummings at C-H-A-K-A-C-U-M-M-I-N-G-S on both Twitter and Instagram. We also have an Insta for the pod at F underscore N underscore sports. Thank you guys for listening. Please keep interacting with us, giving us that feedback. We absolutely love it. Uh, we'll be back next week with another episode. Please remember when it comes to sports. Don't flunk with us. Later, guys. Later.